On today's episode of Out of Office Bros, we're discussing the Broncos versus Commanders game, the CU Bus versus the CSU Rams game, and then our tailgating must-haves. This is Out of Office Bros. Let's hit it. Welcome, 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 Ooblers, to episode 11 of Out of Office Bros. It is your boy, D-Train, and with me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Scotty L. How are we doing today, pal? Oh, I'm doing well, D-Train. Still catching up on some uh, sleep from this weekend, though. Absolute crazy weekend of football. It was, man. We had two home games, one for our buffs and then also for the Broncos. Uh, You and I kind of split this one. You went to the CU Buffs game. Just, I mean, you have season tickets just like uh, I do for the Denver Broncos. So I got to go to, I got got to go to this game, which I was very excited about. So um, let's start with the Broncos uh, because it's a little more of a downer than the the buffs are. So I was at this game and looking at it on the field. And then even when you look at it in the stat sheets, we had – there is no reason we should have lost this game. Um, Russ looked a lot better in in, in person than he looked like any he, he, than he did during the Raiders game, uh, which I watched from home. Um, but he looked like he looked. There were there were uh, moments where he looked like the old Russell Wilson. Um, the, you know, we, the very first drive that we had, you know, we kind of, we went, we marched down the field, uh, Jaleel McLaughlin got his first NFL touchdown. Congratulations to him on that. Um, and then, and then, you know, we, we got the ball after the, uh, uh, commanders went down there and got a field goal. And then Russ hits Marvin Mims Jr. deep for 60 yards and i i turned to to our uh, pal dr dave and i was like dude that is the old russell wilson that is that was him to tyler lockett up in seattle for years um and like he was back in my mind he he looked like his old self and it was just pretty much you know after i mean i mean we did have another drive after that i mean we were up at 1.21 to 3 in the second quarter and then uh, the commanders went on to score 11 unanswered points. And, uh, so we went into halftime still with a lead, uh, 21 to 21 to 14, but, uh, and then the second half, I don't know what happened. It, we looked like we were in control and then that second half completely flipped the script. Yeah. You know, it, it goes back to what we talked about last week and they found a way to lose this game. Yet again, it is a problem with the Broncos now. It's seeped in. You know, Russ looked better. He looked like his old self to a certain extent. I mean, when he was out there scrambling around and moving the pocket around and making plays and kind of going full improv mode, he looked a lot better. And he looked like the quarterback that we thought we were going to get. But, man, once again, it's it's offensive line issues. It, Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, you look at it, we couldn't run the ball. Um, Russ was our leading rusher with 56 yards on six carries. Uh, Javante Williams only had 44 yards on 12 carries. And then, yeah, I will say, I will say, and I talked to Dr. Dave about this after the game, it, the commander's front seven probably is the best in the league. 
at not they're not their defensive unit. I don't think they have great defensive backs, but their front seven are probably the you know at least top three in my mind uh, that that are going on in the league. You know, we talk about we talked about last week Montez Sweat, uh, Deron Payne completely controlled the second half. I mean, we could get nowhere on the ground um, when we were trying to kill some clocks. We still had a little bit of a lead, and. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Chase Young wasn't didn't play a ton of snaps, but he was out there. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, just keep going. <laughs> um, right. Like we had, we we could get nowhere on the ground, and the only the reason Russ, you know, is our leading rusher is because there were a couple of times where you know they didn't have a, someone spying on him, and he was able to get into the second half of the field. Yeah, I mean, it. it Washington's front seven is very good. They're a very very good front seven. Um, it's just concerning to me that this isn't a game we couldn't find a way to win because Mm -hmm. they're trotting out Sam Howell at quarterback. Let's not forget that. Like Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I view NFL as a battle of quarterbacks. Obviously defense is always going to win out. We learned that the hard way in Super Bowl 48 and we learned that the fun way in Super Bowl 50, a great defense will always be a great offense. But Mm -hmm. when you have two bad teams, and let's not get confused, the Broncos and the Commanders are bad teams, I would expect us to win this game, particularly at mile high, and particularly going in as as the favorites on the game. We were Mm -hmm. minus four. I I expected us to win. I I think I called 28 to 21. This ended up being a much higher scoring game than I thought it would be because I put a lot of faith in both of those defenses. And we, we end up losing by two points. It's painful at this point to watch the Broncos and honestly to be a Broncos fan. I mean, Sam Howell, it's not like he did anything special. He threw for 299 yards. He was 27 of 39, uh, two tutties, no picks, and he was only sacked four times. I, I think we we just got beat. Like, plain and I, simple, we just got beat. Yeah, I think, I think there's a laundry list of problems that are wrong with the Broncos, and people are quick to point blame at the quarterback. Uh, I mean, as is with every season that isn't going well. Um, and so, so last year, a lot of the blame was put on Russ. Um, but this game, I mean, the, the old adage last year was, is like, well, if the offense can score more than 20 points, we would be, you know, 10 and 10 and seven, I think it was at the end of the year. Um, the offense, the offense did that this game for sure. I mean, they did, they did it in the first half. Um, and it, and our defense just couldn't stop this screen game. Like you look at the commander stats and a lot of their running backs had, you know, double digit receiving yards. Um, and you, and you had said this on our last podcast, we were kind of previewing this game is you're, you were kind of worried about, about a tight end. Uh, I think that we should be at this point, one, always worried about the tight end, but then two, worried about this screen game. I mean, Antonio Gibson, three targets, three catches, 44 yards. Brian Robinson, two catches, 42 yards. Like those are, those are big chunk plays every single time that they were catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah. I mean, even Curtis Samuel, he had three catches for 19 yards at 6.3 per reception. That's you're not going to win a ball game if that's what you're giving up through the air. And right. it, it it's shown twice now. Um, I don't think our defensive backfield outside of Pat Sertan is very good at this yeah. point. Like they're, they're proving that the preseason was more of an aberration than anything. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think, you know, you and I are going to have to revise our Broncos record predictions at this point. And I think oh yeah, ownership is going to be, strongly talking about moving on from Russ at the end of this year. 
I know it's not all the quarterback, but something's got to change. You, I think you got to tear it down at this point and, and start over because we traded away all of our picks. We got to get some back and that's going to require trading away good players. And the only one truly that's untouchable in my mind is Pat Sertan. Yeah. Everyone else is expendable to me. Yeah. I completely agree. And, you know, a lot of it probably has to do with cap room Um, there. You know, people are already talking about trading away Cortland Sutton, who is being paid like a number one receiver, but sure isn't playing like one. Um, The highlight on the receptions. Right. That's what I'm right. That's what I'm saying. So the the highlight to me of this game was Marvin Mims Jr. The guy can absolutely fly down there. I mean, yes, the one catch for 60 yards uh, absolutely makes a difference, but he also had the punt return uh, that I believe that, I mean, he looked like he was about to break it, man. He really was. Uh, He also had two rushing attempts for 10 yards. um, And then, and then his other catch was for 53 yards. I mean, the guy, the guy's a game breaker and uh, you can tell why the Broncos did move up in this year's draft to go ahead and get him but where was he during the Raiders game we probably could have used one or two of those kinds of plays and we would have won that game you know it's just it it could be it could be Russ getting used to this offense it could be Sean Payton learning what's working well with individual players what play calls he has to do but when you're favored two games both at home you should be winning those games well and especially at mile high Mile High is not an easy place to walk into and play. It's one of the harder places in the NFL. You know, you look at Lumen Field up in Seattle, you look at the Kingdom out in Kansas City, and then you got Mile High. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not an easy place to play. And when you've got two teams that realistically I don't think are playoff teams in the the Raiders and the Commanders coming in, you've got to take care of business. Good teams beat the teams they're supposed to. Yeah, And the Broncos yeah. aren't doing that. And it feels like fucking Groundhog Day every week that we're hopping on and talking about the Broncos at this point because something just won't click. Whether yeah. This game, it was the defense. The first game, it was the offense. Yeah. And, and the special teams on the first game. Like, I, I don't know what more to say here except just burn it down. It's not, yeah. it's not even fun to watch anymore. Like, I feel like a masochist or I feel like a Buffs fan from 10 years ago when I was a freshman tuning in and knowing we were going to get beat, but I kept going back for more. It's hard to do. And especially when you got quality football up in Boulder. Yeah, it's it's it, it you definitely tendencies of a masochist for sure. Just putting myself through this, you know, week in and week out. And I'm and like, what what sucks is is that I'm going to, <laughs> you know, because I I that should the you know Broncos run thick in my blood. But I got a text from my little brother uh, at as I was driving home from the game, and he was just like, I can't do this anymore, man. <laughs> like after that after the i mean basically since 2015 i mean it just hasn't been a fun to be a broncos fan no it's been it's been really hard and like we say that as we're spoiled we saw three super bowls in our lifetime yeah denver sports fans are spoiled we we've got everything but an mlb championship in our lifetime and we're not that old (laughs) like right we're old but we're not that old so it's it's hard to watch a team that we watched never fall below 500 let alone play like this it's yeah it's hard and especially when you know like the pieces are there like i still think sean payton's a good coach i think he's got to show that he can adjust now because he does not have drew Brees running the offense and you got to figure out what's going to put Russ in the best situation 
Yeah. And, and you can say all you want to, you know, that, you know, that Drew Brees was one of the best to ever play, that there's no comparison, blah, blah, blah. But like Russ has been around long enough that he's now, he now has contemporaries or people that he played with that are ripping him on national television. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's kind of the, the give and take when you're a quarterback is that you, you last a little bit longer than your peers do in this league. And he's just getting absolutely ripped. Um, for, for how the Broncos have started, because, again, he's taking a lot of the blame. Yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of that's deserved. Like, let's look at his stats, even dating back his last couple of years in Seattle. Like, you know, a lot of these guys, some of them are probably being a little too hard on him, but at the end of the day, that's what happens when you're in the public eye. Like, and you're the you are the starting quarterback for, you know, you talk about it in college football, the Blue Bloods, the Blue Blood programs, like – in the NFL, there's still those blue blood organizations. And I would say that over the last 30 years, the Broncos have been a blue blood organization. Yeah. So the magnifying glass is on and you're going to be watching them a little closer. They're going to be on national TV. Russ hasn't performed and not, granted, no one else around him has except for Pat Sertan, who I'm just going to make this the Pat Sertan segment because he's the only player worth talking about on the Broncos in a positive light. But these blue bloods always are going to get more scrutiny and more shine. And right now we're getting the scrutiny part of it. And every bit of it is earned in my eyes because we are not a good football club right now. We're we're not. And it's hard to swallow. It's hard to admit, but it's where we're at. And, and it's it's also sucks. hard it's also hard to look ahead into the future because you've traded away your draft picks too. Like at least the Cardinals and the Texans and and those other O and two teams are sitting there like, well, at the very least, we might have a chance at a Caleb Williams or a um, Drake May, Shador Sanders, Bo Nix, you know, whomever's going to end up coming out of this uh, in this quarterback draft class that could potentially put a franchise on their shoulders. Um, one thing, uh, but one thing before we venture away from the Broncos here is uh, I did kind of want to throw a hot take at you that I was just kind of thinking about when I was looking uh, at some of the stats yesterday. And uh, I just have to preface it with this. No, no, I'll start with my hot take. I think that Marvin Mims Jr. is going to be the leading receiver for the Broncos this year. Ahead of Jerry Judy, who is the highest drafted wide receiver in franchise history, and Cortland Sutton, who is on a $70 million contract. Yeah, I can see it. He already, I, is, I, I he already is after two weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see it. Like, he, he's got the big play ability, which I think is the only way we're really going to do anything on offense is getting kind of those Tyler Lockett style breakdowns. And yeah. And don't get me I wrong, mean, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are both capable of making those types of plays. I just, they think, are. I just think that Marvin Mims Jr. might be, he's, uh, he almost he's has that more like, explosive. Yeah. He's he explosive. Almost, it's almost like a Tyreek Hill. Like that's kind of the best comparison that I'm kind of drawing right now, but I'm not going to call him that. It's just, it's the best that I can think of in the moment in that, like every time he touches the ball, I feel like something is going to happen. And it did on Sunday. Yeah. He, he's got kind of that it factor about him. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious to see if he's durable enough to be perfectly honest. Cause that, that is a one concern for me, but I, I can see it. I mean, I don't, 
I don't think Cortland's going to do it this year, like, and we, which sucks because we needed him. And Jerry Judy, while he runs amazing routes, he, no one's going to doubt that. He hasn't really produced in his time in the NFL yet. Yeah. Like I, I, I said last year to some other Broncos fans outside of our friend group that I thought Tim Patrick was better than Jerry Judy, and I got crucified for it. I got lit up a little bit for it, and Tim Patrick is better. Tim Patrick, I think, is better than Cortland Sutton, to be honest with you. And I think he was a major loss for this franchise again this year. And Patrick is showing again that, you know, you, you got to be able to stay on the field. Yeah. The best the best ability is availability. Right. And I think that's what's holding him back from actually being, you know, that guy being him. But I, I could see, I could pretty easily see Marvin Mims actually. Like, I, I had to think about it for a second and sit on it. Mm-hmm. But. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he comes out and is our number one wide receiver at the end of the year. Yeah. At least in the not, in the major categories. Right. I don't yeah, I don't think it's gonna be um necessarily like Pro Bowl even worthy, but I feel like he might end up being, you know, like a, you know, close to a thousand yard receiver and eight or nine touchdowns, something like that. And they but it's gonna be it's gonna be tops on our on our receiving core. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Um, anything else that you, uh, through watching that game that you, oh, Will Lutz made all of his field goals, so that was positive, I suppose. <laughs> Yay, kicker talk. I still want Mason Crosby. That, that's not, just the Colorado guy in me. I want Mason Crosby. And I'm also, I'm not I'm not going to let this podcast become kicker talk. So, uh, all right. So, um, yeah, let's pivot to a little bit better news. Uh, and I say a little bit because I feel like we're going to just go off on this. Uh, our Colorado Buffaloes did defeat the Colorado State Rams 43 to 35 on Saturday, actually Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Got home at like uh, two in the morning. It was brutal. Yeah, no, it, it really was, man. I mean, it was um, – I I'd even said this uh, with that 8 o'clock kickoff, which ended up being 8.20, that I commended you guys for going, but I was going to be very happy that I was watching it from the comfort of my own home. And oh. it, it proved that on uh, on Sunday afternoon when I saw you and you woke up at 12.30 and I'd been up since uh, – I got my eight hours of sleep the night before. Yeah, man, I was I was dead to the world that day. That was that was ugly. But – um. Yeah, hell of a game, hell of a showdown. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, I want to say CSU came to play. Absolutely. They they came to play. That that quarterback, Braden Fowler, Nicolosi, um, he can sling it. He's he's a gunslinger and he he had some picks like I called that was gonna happen. Um his first real start, but he he showed no fear. He was willing to throw on all of our guys. Um, he, he played a hell of a game. And Torrey Horton, I, I can't say enough positive things about him, the big wide receiver for Colorado State that we both, in our season preview of the Rams, said was going to be playing on Sundays. I think that game for him proved that he should be playing on Sundays. Oh, absolutely. He had 16 catches for 133 yards. He was he was unstoppable. Um, the Buffs have a lot to figure out after that game. Don't but... don't forget don't forget about Tory Horton's um, the the kind of uh, pitch out to him, and then he yeah. rolled back and tossed the ball for a tutty as well. Yeah, thirty yard uh, throwing touchdown. Um, he he had himself a game, but that 
whole, whole aspect of Colorado State, and we're going to talk buffs here in a minute because I, I need to dive into some of the meat of the buffs, but the whole aspect of the great game, which Colorado State played a great game. Schematically, mm-hmm. they were fiery. They were more physical. They were more prepared than we were. But all of that is being lost because they also played a very dirty game. We all have seen the hit probably a thousand times now that I, I'm not even going to say his name and give him that shine because he doesn't deserve it. Anyone out there, you can go look it up. It's number 11 on Colorado State. He's a scumbag. But that wasn't the only thing that happened that game. You had players going at knees the entire game. You had the chop blocks. And then the audacity of Jay Norvell, which I've never seen this done in a game, in the middle of a game during an interview, calling out the refs and saying the officiating was slanted is just fucking laughable. Like I could see a coach saying that if it's ticky tack fouls, if it's, you know, one team's getting a lot of holding calls, one team's getting illegal procedure or offsides or encroachment or whatever. This one, the fouls that were being called on Colorado state, you can't really argue. Yeah. Like these are personal fouls. These are face masks. These are chop blocks. These are illegal blocks in the back. These are in personal, like a late hit, a flagrant foul or eight, roughing eight the passer per- and targeting eight personal fouls, man. Yeah. That's a lack of discipline. And Jay Norvell is sitting there saying like, Oh, they're, they're calling the game, you know, bad way. Get fucked, dude. You you're coaching this. Like, no one just goes out and says, oh, I'm going to just do a chop block. That's coached. That is taught into you. That is beat into you during camp or during the week leading up to the game. No one is sitting there saying like, oh, I'm just going to make a run at this player. That, I, I still think that was intentional. And the film put the film shows it. Like Torrey Horton's little illegal block, the pick that he said, I don't know why people are getting upset saying that shouldn't be called a flag. You are going to see that 10 times out of 10. That's always going to be flagged. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it was a messy, sloppy game. And then when you talk about the hit, the now infamous hit that's getting publicity, not just here in Colorado, but all across the nation, all across sports media, like CSU comes out looking like a loser in that game when they could have come out looking unbelievable. You know, we talked about how Norvell was possibly doing it for the press and for awareness to the university with his little sunglasses and hat remark. Okay, if you had just come out and your team had played a clean game, suddenly everyone's talking about, wow, the Colorado State Rams just rolled into Folsom Field, took the buffs to double overtime. They are a real contender for the Mountain West, and they played a phenomenal football game. Mm -hmm. Instead, everyone's talking about, you know, Number 11, once again, not saying his name, but they're talking about that hit and they're talking about Jay Norvell and his lack of class going out and not even saying, I hope Travis is okay. Or it was a bad hit. We're going to sit him down for a game. And he understands why. He didn't even pull him out after the hit. Like you always see that with a personal foul, you see these kids get pulled for at least a play so the coach can talk to them and settle them down and get their head right. Instead, what did he do? He stood over Travis, he flexed a little bit, then he walked away like he was hot shit after hitting a player that was clearly defenseless in a very compromising position, out of bounds, after the ball had landed. After a flag had been thrown, after the whistle had been blown. Yeah, it was, 
I mean, there were so many points that he hit that it was like, dude, you could have stopped here. You could have stopped here. You could have stopped here. And then he also goes and high fives his teammates. And then he's out there the same, that very next play. Mm -hmm. Like that's a problem. And the other thing I wanted to address was, and I don't like being this guy because I hate these kind of guys, but I have to be him right now. The, the injuries that CSU had throughout that game. Yeah, it was bullshit. I'm I'm sorry. That was it it got to the point that it was comical and you could call when it was going to happen because it happened when the Buffs offense started moving the ball downfield a little bit. I'm genuinely shocked that we didn't see a player go down with a quote unquote injury during our 98 yard. What ended up being game tying drive. Right. And it was all another player that we previewed in our preseason. It was all Mohamed Kamara and Kamara lost a lot of my respect. Yeah, probably. I mean, probably their second best player other than Torrey Horton. Um, I mean, the guy absolutely dominated our offensive line in many, many aspects. Um, He He uh, what he ended the game with four solo tackles, one assist. Yeah, yeah, two sacks. I mean, the guy the guy was all over all over our I mean he he was also a lot of the reason that our offensive or our running game didn't get going at in at any point because he was just he was just always blowing up a tackle you know getting to getting to our running backs kind of in the in the backfield and then they'd maybe lunge forward for like a yard or two sort of thing Um, yeah yeah definitely their best player but yeah three individual times the dude was on the ground for no reason with an apparent knee injury like come on man like i i thought he was cramping like cramping i i would get it's like there's nothing you can do about that that's just going to happen but dr dave himself was like nah every because he you know is is uh, going to be a, a licensed physical therapist was looking at a was was saying that it, no they're looking at his knee like there's something wrong there with his knee if there's something actually is he shouldn't be on the field Again, right. student athlete. These are not professional athletes right now that they're where their paychecks are on the line. Right. And it, it just always, like I said, it was always happening at the most convenient times for Colorado State to pause a drive. And then he was out there the next play. That That's the other thing that kind of got me where it's like, if you're, if you actually have a hurt knee, why are you coming back one play later? You mm-hmm. should be getting checked out for that. You should be getting looked at. And also, he lost respect in my eyes. He's a hell of a football player, but he was also doing some dirty, dirty plays. He was going at knees. He was going, he he was going at Shador late every single time. And finally, you saw it come. He he got a targeting call, and that was another thing about the Rams. They played a very undisciplined brand of football, especially at the end of the game, where their two best players in Horton and Kamara both resulted in major flags that ended up to the Buffs tying the game and eventually winning the game. If they had played a clean game down the stretch, they're rolling out of Folsom with a top 25 win, which that mm-hmm. hasn't happened for them since Bradley Van Pelt was their quarterback. Like they, they really screwed the pooch on that one. And, you know, once again, credit to them. They, they played, they, they played inspired football. They played dirty football. Um, I, I think we got out schemed that whole game. And yeah, we could not stop a crossing route to save our lives, man. I mean, their no. their top two receivers ate us alive. Tory Horton obviously had 16 catches, but then uh, uh, was it Lewis Brown the fourth? 
Um, yeah, Lewis Brown the fourth. Yeah, had ten catches for 131 yards. Um, they we just absolutely couldn't stop a crossing route to save our lives. And I think you know Dion said this uh, during all this pregame hype that was happening leading up to the game. Um, you know, was just saying how he's missing a few dogs, and he said that it's going to be on both lines and then at linebacker. Yeah, and how do you stop a crossing route? Linebackers. You have good linebackers; they can really cover. So. That, I think that's where I want to end it with the Rams. Um, you know, if I if I really get going, I'm going to say some shit that I just would regret saying. Yeah. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, kudos to them. I do. Let's I do want to. Well, I do want to say one thing um, about number eleven for the CSU Rams because some news came out that his that his family and himself have been getting death threats for the hit uh, that he did have on Travis Hunter. Uh, guys, at the end of the day, this is football. Things like this will happen. Um, no, there should be no threats on somebody's life because of a hit that happened. You know, Travis, yes, he's going to miss a few weeks, but he's going to be okay. Um, you know, and, and he, like Travis even said on his, um, on his Twitch stream today, like, Hey man, it's football, like things are going to happen. So, um, yeah, I, I, that, I just wanted to throw that in there as well, that that's not okay. And, 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 you know, at any given point when it comes to sports, should that sort of thing be happening? Yeah, um, kind of along those lines. Um, wholeheartedly agree. This is this is a game. You you should not be threatening a kid's life or his family over a game. It's not worth it. Um, you know, I want to I want to highlight Travis there and also Coach Prime because both of them came out with just the classiest statements imaginable about yeah. the whole situation, and they had the opportunity to go go down the path that a lot of us fans and a lot of the national media and even just college football fans in general that were tuned into that game could have and have been going down, which is talking about how dirty it was, how bad it was. They, they took the high road and, you know, it gave me another moment of just uh, D train said it a hundred times here, but thank you, coach prime. I'm, I'm so thankful that you're at the helm of our, of our, college football team and honestly that you're the face of the institution Mm -hmm. so thank you for just being a class act um and uh now speaking of that like yeah let's get into some highlights uh for the buffs on this game Uh, i kind of want to start outside of the game for a second uh we talked about you know big noon big noon kickoff was there college game day was there we had we had the rock in town we had little wayne we had you know shannon sharp stephen a smith um Master P, uh, <laughs> you know, the list, the list goes on and on and on. But ESPN uh, airing the broadcast at, at certain points during that game, there were 9.1 million viewers watching this college football game. And that is the fifth highest televised game that ESPN has ever, ever had. Yeah. Um, and, and thank also, God, and thank God, it was a good one, man. I mean, there there was no better ball. I would not have stayed up for any other ball game than that. If we had been blowing no. them out, I would have been in bed by ten thirty, eleven o'clock. If, um, well, actually, that's probably really the only other reason I would have been that, that I would have called it <laughs> early and then watched highlights later. But, um, but no, they like having that kind of hype around it and having that many people that were there to for, that are there to watch Colorado football. Are you kidding me? This is insane. This doesn't happen once again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so 
in addition to that, at the end of the game, at the conclusion of the game, there was still 8.1 million people tuned in. So we only saw a million person drop off, which is insane with how late it was. If I was getting home at 2 a.m., that means it's 4 a.m. on the East Coast. So people were watching. Um, looking at the TV statistics this year, three of the top five most watched games from this college football season are Colorado. Yeah. Number one yeah. is Colorado, yeah. Colorado State. Number four is CU Nebraska, and number five is TCU Colorado. And we played three games. Like, is the like is Oregon this weekend going to be just as televised? Yes, yes. We are going to be setting record numbers this year. And God damn it, Larry Scott. God damn it um, to George Klikov, the commissioner of the Pac-12 and the former commissioner of the Pac-12, respectively. What the fuck were you thinking? I mean, Kalikov should have, the second Prime got hired, been on the phone with every TV outlet, every fucking station. Like, yo, we got Prime. This yeah. he, he is a walking media magnet. Whether people love him or hate him, we're both in the camp of love him. There are plenty in the camp of hate him. He is polarizing, but people tune in to watch polarizing. And he is also the most brilliant marketing man in the world. I mean, the blenders eyewear did $1.2 million worth of sales in the first, in 24 hours on the pre-order. Yeah. And then, and then afterwards it is, they, he said that it's been four and a half million. He said, we found our Michael Jordan. It's insane. <laughs> it, it's insane. Like coach prime is he, he's, he's bigger than life itself. And there, there are very few people that can get that title of like they walk on air everything around them that they touch just goes crazy prime is one of those guys and it was it it was an absolute scene in boulder i went up there for game day um with ethan so we were we were standing there we got in at 6 30 it was already packed gronk was doing his thing over at farron field we were over on the business field i've just never seen such a scene in boulder for this and then for showdown, I mean, I I can't remember the last time I saw Folsom that full. Yeah. At the end of a game. At the end of a game. And I mean, yeah. it was it was packed. I think maybe a hundred people left before the game ended. Yeah. Like absolutely I mean, insane. Ethan, game. Ethan has sent photos of when he was cheering, uh, and it like here's how slow it was: is that he literally had his phone down there with him on the sideline. Uh, and he took a photo and literally the student section is empty. Nobody's there. Yeah. And it, like cold game near the end of the season. We were probably playing Utah or something like that. Student section is completely empty. That's, I could tell you, I could tell you this right now, not happening the entire time that prime is here. No, I mean, we see you just announced today. They've sold out every single game for the remainder of the season. Yeah. As they should. Every single as, one. As they it's should. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, let's dive into did, the actual performance of this hold, game. Though. Hold on. Hold, hold on real quick. Sorry. We keep interrupting each other. What it. we want to talk about. I, again, the, just kind of what's happening outside. You talked about Larry Scott. Um, the PAC 12 is dead. The PAC 12 is dead. Sadly. And in its final year, we're after three weeks in the college football season, eight, of the 12 teams in the Pac-12 are currently ranked. Eight. Yeah. It's it's an insane year for the Pac, and naturally it had to be the last year. At least they're going out with a bang, not a whimper. Um, right. I think that I, I 
I have a sneaky suspicion we still won't get someone into the playoffs, and that's because the team is the conference is so loaded mm-hmm. that the top teams are going to take their yeah. L's, the mid teams are going to take their L's, and against the each bottom other. teams are going to be yeah, 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 against each other. Yeah, I mean the only yeah. like like USC started the season preseason at number five, and they've stayed pat. I mean at least they're not dropping because of the teams they've played. You know, um, yeah. Like I would, but I would say, I mean, outside of SC, unless somebody, unless somebody has an undefeated season, I think you're right. I think we are sitting as, you know, we might have two teams in the first two out. Shalom Sharp predicted that Utah is going to get in there at number four, but I think that that's going to take, I get that's going to take them having a completely undefeated season, beating USC, beating us handily. <laughs> um, and then maybe, maybe they get let into the college football playoff. And beating either Oregon or Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. Right. And both of those teams are looking great, too. Yeah. Like, it, it is a phenomenal year for the Pac-12. We have the top two Heismans uh, candidates in terms of betting odds right now with, obviously, Caleb Williams leading the way. But Michael Penix Jr. has skyrocketed. His yeah. stock has taken, gone off. And then, oh. you know, you had two guys at Colorado that were making a strong case, and one of them still is in Shador Sanders. Like, yeah, holy shit, what a year for the Pac-12. It's those heartbreaking are, to see it's breaking up. Those receivers for Washington may be the two best athletes in the entire Pac-12. Oh, yeah. Outside, outside of Travis. Of Travis. Hunter. Yeah, outside, outside of Travis Hunter. Those dudes go up and snag everything. Oh, they're insane. I don't even they know their name. I don't even know their names because I just watched the highlights. But the Huskies yeah. are a, such a well-coached team, and they've got you know a great quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. They have dogs at receiver. They have a great running game. Their offensive line is always really solid, and their defense is it's stingy. So they're they're going to be a tough out in the Pac-12 North. Oregon State looks good <laughs> again this year with and DJU is actually playing to his potential. And then yeah. Wazoo, God, man, Oregon State and Wazoo, I, I just still feel so bad for those fans because they should not be relegated. They're, they're yeah. good programs. Their fan bases are diehard. Like, someone's got to find a place for them. And I think if they both finish the season in the top 25, they might find a spot in, like, the Big 12. And I, I would be a big proponent of bringing them to the Big 12. Actually, I'd rather have them than the Arizona schools at this point because yeah. they're both shit. Yeah. Um, the I only be, thing you can count those two on is uh, is two easy wins. Yeah, which I'm fine with. Like I'll take that all day. <laughs> that's what we were, that's what we were in the Pac-12. It's about then, time the turntables have turned. And then we get and then we get Arizona with us for basketball, which is always you know always a top program. So you know, yeah. you win some, you lose some. But yeah, let's dive into the Buffs and how they played this game. Um, yeah. I obviously I'd always I'd already kind of brought up our rushing game was almost non-existent. Um, Dylan Edwards somehow still seemed to squeak by every once in a while uh, mm-hmm. for a total of ten carries for fifty-seven yards, but a third of those yards came on one rushing play. I mean, they were they were eating him alive. They were eating our entire rushing game alive. We started throwing, um, you know, Wilkerson and Hankerson in there. I think just to add a little bit of muscle to maybe see if they can promote somebody over, and they couldn't get it done. Um, yeah. It's it they again to see CSU's credit they they teed up on us and they mat they matched up against us very very well um, a lot better I mean obviously a lot better than anybody was thinking what was going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, our, I'll, I'll dive into where I think our glaring issues are in the running game is certainly one of those. But I, I got to start this whole game and honestly this whole season with Shador Sanders. Yeah. That guy is the truth. And he played, as his dad would call it, bull junk. He played like bull junk the first half. He was not doing well. He was not hitting his receivers. He was not finding the man. He was. Do you not think that he was too? Do you think that he was too fired up? Yeah, I, I think he was. I think he he wanted to go out there and prove something. And I mean, at the end of the game, he did. Right. <laughs> like, that he he called it Brady time, and he he talks about TB12 because TB12 coaches him, and he he had a Brady drive to end the game. Um. 38 for 47, again, holy shit, 348 yards, four tutties, and one pick. He finally got picked this year, which I didn't know when that was going to happen. I thought it maybe would come against SC in that that game or Oregon, um, especially after we got through TCU and Nebraska without it being clean. Um, but, man, he just – even when he doesn't look good, he's good. Yeah, it, It's such a weird feeling, and I was sitting there – with Ethan at the game and we get the ball on the two, right? Amazing, amazing special teams uh, play by on Colorado the, on State. The football, other right? end, on the other the end, far of, end of the field. Are. Yeah. <laughs> and I turn, I turned to Ethan and I just look at him like, we're going to drive down and score. We're, we're going to tie the game here. And I don't think I can remember a single time in my Buffs fandom that I was that confident, even with our backs against the wall thinking that this is going to happen. And naturally, what does Shador do? Just starts hitting the throws, hitting everything, hitting everything, hitting everything. And Jimmy Horn at the end on that catch, he he made good because he had that um, false start, right? Mm -hmm. The play before it, he got us pushed back five yards. And he jukes 11, that piece of shit, out of his jock strap. Kids laying there on the field watching Jimmy go in for six. And dude, Michael Harrison... Can we talk about this tight end? Oh, yeah. Dude, he was almost non-existent in the TCU and Nebraska game. I didn't yeah. even know his I didn't even know his name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he was a walk-on. He is a walk-on. He was playing receiver under the previous staff, and this staff pivoted him to tight end, and he has just worked his ass off. And dude, what a coming out party for Michael Harrison. Yeah, the kid. Uh, I mean, his his touchdowns. He's sure-handed, and Coach Prime talked about him in his presser today about how he was always getting that extra work with Shador. He was always getting those extra reps after practice. He's putting the work in. He's always studying film, and he earned Shador's trust. And it showed at the end of that game. Is guess who Shador was force feeding? It was Michael Sanders, and or not Michael threw, Sanders, and, Michael and Michael Harris. He threw the tying two point conversion throw to him too. Like the, the yep. touchdowns, yes, the touchdowns absolutely matter. But to be to be to have that kind of trust in a, in a walk on like that, like Shador has, I mean, that kind of that also shows the kind of dude that Shador is, where he just knows who's going to be making the play here. And you know, little sidestep into the pocket, sees your guy, boom, boom. I. Uh, uh... I was just blown away by Shador. And it seems like I'm going to be saying that every single week because it's just never going to feel real to me of yeah. how good this kid is at his age. I mean, he's, 
he's legitimately going to be a top 10 NFL draft pick mm-hmm. at the quarterback position. We haven't seen that at CU ever. We, yeah. We've never had a top 10 quarterback for the NFL. It, he, he has the potential to be our highest draft pick ever. Our current yeah. one is number four. I think he could go higher. <laughs> it, it's insane. And then you got players that are going to be playing on Sundays on this roster as well. Like Xavier Weaver, I don't think he gets nearly the shine he should be getting. Oh, yeah. Once again, our leading receiver, nine receptions for 98 yards. He had a touchdown. He also caught our final two-point conversion of the game with the weird-ass college overtime football rule or college football overtime rules. He's he's just a silent assassin. I'm sad that we don't have him next year because he is he is on his final year of eligibility. But that kid just flat out balls. I yeah. mean, Weaver Weaver might. It was always talked about when him and Horn both transferred together from USF to here about hey. Xavier Weaver actually is the more accomplished receiver. Jimmy just had a lot more hype because he's that kind of guy that can take the top off of the defense at any time. He runs the cleaner routes. Maybe not the cleaner routes, but the more exciting routes to watch. Mm-hmm. But Xavier Weaver is just so consistent. Uh, yeah. It, it blows my mind because he's every game gone, except for this one, gone over 100 yards. And even this one, he had 98. He was damn close. He He's a dog, man. I, yeah. I love... I love our skill positions on this team, but if you don't have anything positive else to say from the game, I can dive into where I am terrified over the next two weeks. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I was also going to highlight on the receivers uh, and just the way that they uh, really for both Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn Jr., how they took the pressure off of Shador a little bit with Travis out of the game. Um, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, I mean, like Travis is just, he's one of those dudes that is just a walking highlight reel where if you get him the ball, something is going to happen. And it shows it with his uh, yards per catch average, which is at sitting at a little over 13 yards. But Xavier Weaver after this game is now over 15 yards a catch. Um, I mean, these guys, these guys absolutely, you know, took on that pressure and, um, and then, and then it showed, especially at the end of the game. Um, and then I did want to talk about uh, Shador's Heisman candidacy here, um, it, where his passer rating's at 178. Cool. A damn, a damn near eighty percent completion percentage at seventy eight point six eight, with twelve hundred and fifty one yards, ten touchdowns, and one interception in three oh. games. Oh, stop! And and You're, these are and these are against send me not, to the hospital. And these and these are not against you know some dog shit programs. I mean, I think Caleb Williams already has like sixteen touchdowns, um, but he's played San Jose State. Uh, was it Middle Tennessee State? Uh, he played San Jose State. Then, um, God, I want to say it wasn't Fresno State. Let me look it up real quick, but keep going. Yeah, keep um, I'm just saying that. Like, I feel like if we're looking at um, strength of schedule, I guess would probably be the best way to look at it. That Shador has played much tougher teams than Caleb Williams has. Oh yeah, I mean Colorado has had the toughest schedule of anyone in the country thus far. We played two power five teams and a solid G five team, um, two rivalry games and we've come out of it unscathed. Uh, USC is by comparison. They opened the season week zero with San Jose state. Then they played in week one. 
uh, Nevada, and then they've also played Stanford. Yeah. Um, so which it's we not know, like they're which playing. we know they're not playing scrubs either, but we know Stanford is at the bottom of the Pac-12 right now. And then we, and yep. then I would say Nevada is also a solid G5 school too, um, similar to Colorado State. So I don't know. Yeah, except they're trotting Brendan Lewis, our former quarterback, out as their starter. So they're, they're struggling a little bit. Um, Nevada gave another team some fits um, this week, another Power Five team. So it, they're not bad. Um, USC is doing what good teams should do, which is beat the teams they should beat. I'm going to keep that theme going. Just like Colorado did, we beat the team that we should beat. I wouldn't have said going into the season that we should beat TCU because TCU was the national runner-up. Let's not forget that. Yeah, Nebraska, that game was a toss-up with two new head coaches, a lot of influx of new players on both rosters, although CU's was the only one that was talked about. And, you know, Colorado State's, they're always going to get up for that game. They're, it is their Super Bowl. The showdown is their Super Bowl. So I, I don't think SC has played nearly the schedule that we have to date. And then they get basically a bye week next year or next week with Arizona State, who just got shut out by Fresno State. Way to go, Sun Devils. I saw some hilarious videos. I don't know if you yeah, saw these on uh, social. Yeah, uh, P- yeah, people were watching the CU-CSU game at Sun Devil Stadium. <laughs> yeah, like the student section was watching CU-CSU on their phones just like <laughs> – it's like everyone's all eyes are on Colorado, which is awesome. Um, However, it may not be that awesome this week. I am going to forewarn everyone here and I am the biggest sunshine pumper of the Colorado Buffaloes. Probably that anyone's ever met. I will (laughs) see here. I, I was saying Carl Durrell was a good coach. That's how sunshine pumping up with the Colorado Buffaloes. I am. This is not going to go well for the buffs without Travis Hunter. Um, I think this would be more of a shock if we roll into Autzen this year and beat them than it was in 2016 when we went in and beat them in Autzen. Yeah, a um, couple reasons behind that. Well, One, we'll, pre- we'll preview. We'll preview Oregon. Yeah, for Saturday on the next episode. Pod. Yeah, um, but I'll leave it at that for now. Um, things that are really concerning me though about this Buffs team, it you you hit on it a couple times already, but our run game has got to get going. Yeah, We do not have anything established there, and Shador has been bailing us out because he is that good that he has been able to win us three games on the back of it, on, on his shoulder, literally on his right shoulder, is how we have won those games. And that's a credit to him. He's an incredible quarterback. I don't know how sustainable that is through a Pac-12 slate, especially this year. If we were looking four years ago in the Pac-12, we could probably do it. When USC had Helton a coach, and they were down, and Oregon was average for Oregon standards – Utah wasn't quite this this level of powerhouse that they are now. We got to establish a run game. The good news is I just saw on Twitter, um, Alton McCaskill, that transfer running back that I've kept talking about from Houston. He was the freshman All-American. Um, he officially was stripped of his non-contact jersey today in practice. Yeah. He is taking hits. He is getting ready. I think he is going to make his debut. Um, so I hopefully that will light a spark. We're going to need it against the Ducks and against the Trojans. Um, I'm really excited to see him, but we got to get that going. And that starts with the big boys up front, and they're not getting any sort of push. And honestly, the biggest issue I'm seeing is at the guard spot. Our, mm-hmm. our tackles are fine. They're not great. I think our left side, um, Jared Christian Lich and Sam, uh, Tank, as he is affectionately called around the University of Colorado, Tank is doing a very nice job on the left side, but the guard play is weak. 
um, center when we got Van Wells in. I think Van Wells is a, that kid's a pro. He's going to be playing at a high level for the remainder of his life or his athletic career, I should say. He, he's a really good player at the center position. And then our right tackle, um, Savion Washington, is he's capable. He's a solid tackle. He's not great, but he's not going to lose you a game or cost you a game. Our, our guards have been problematic, though. And that's where the run game really starts because that's who's opening those holes is yeah. the guards and the tackles. Yeah. And a lot of it could be a little bit of scheme too, where I, you know, it looks like they're trying to run a little bit of zone every time that they're trying to uh, get, get a little bit of a push. And if you haven't played zone before, uh, it, you know, a lot of it is based on movement and knowing where to, um, where, when to get off of a block and move up into the next level or where the linebackers are, basically. If you feel like your teammate is going to be able to handle this dude and move him out of the way of uh, of the defensive lineman, then you elevate to the next level. And so, you know, again, we're still three games into this college football season, so maybe it's just working out those kinks a little bit more. But like you said, we're, we're not going to be able to beat Oregon or SC if we don't have an established running game. No. And then... I have three things that are really concerning me right now. That's number one, the run game. We got to establish it. We got to be able to play that big boy football and get people off of just pinning their ears back and charging at Shador. We're also one of the most sacked teams in college football. Shador is one of the most sacked quarterbacks in college football. So we got to get that fixed. Um, Number two, our defensive line and more specifically our lack of a pass rush is very concerning to me right now. We've not been able to get pressure on any opposing quarterbacks with any we sort of consistency. We can't. We can't send four and expect them to even give the give the quarterback fits. No, he's got all day to throw in with two quarterbacks coming up in Bo Nix and uh, Caleb Williams. We got to get pressure. We got to get guys in their face, and you know our front seven just flat out has not been good enough. It hasn't, and. That actually bleeds into my third point of the linebackers, but our defensive line, they've been getting bullied in the run game. They've been getting bullied in the passing game. They've got to find a way to generate some pressure. I don't know if Charles Kelly needs to change his scheme around a little bit. I would love to see, you know, maybe a corner blitz like we always used to do under Levitt with Cheeto Bayouzier coming off the edge um, just to give a different look and give the quarterback maybe a hesitation and a second thought of if I drop back, I'm going to get rushed from somewhere on the field. But our, our defensive line is is not good. It's not good. Yeah. No, I agree. And, and I feel like CSU maybe exploited us a little bit more than both TCU and Nebraska did when it comes to our weak spots because, again, we could not stop those crossing routes that CSU was running to save our lives. Um, so – you know, hopefully, hopefully, like you said, we kind of tee that up, uh, knowing that that's a little bit of a weak point. Maybe we drop a safety down in there and maybe, you know, let Shiloh just kind of go be a ball hawk and, and just go to the ball sort of thing. I mean, I don't, I don't really know, but, but no, that's, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, those are the three main concerns that I have as well, but, uh, yeah, watch for our episode on Saturday where we'll be previewing the CU, uh, CSU or sorry, the CU and, uh, Oregon game and also the uh, Broncos and Dolphins. So, all right. So quick, uh, quick change of pace here. I, in the last about five to eight minutes or so of our pod, I wanted to discuss, uh, so we tailgated the Bronco game on Sunday and uh, just kind of got me thinking a little bit about like, what are the main 
what are the main ingredients that makes a good tailgate? What do you need to make uh, to make it a fun environment before you're about to go into, you know, a, potentially a loss, right? Where no matter what, like I went home on Sunday, I was very upset about the game, but I was also like, well, I still had a good time with my friends. What are the main ingredients that you kind of have to have if you're going to be tailgating? There are a couple. Um, one, you got to have good company. Yeah, good company everywhere. That's rule um, number that's, one. That's rule number one. Just enjoying life, man. Not just enjoying a tailgate. <laughs> yeah, get, get good people around you. Keep them around you and hold on to that. That is incredibly valuable. Um, then we get into the more material things. Uh, so things that make a good tailgate, in my eyes, um, you got to have a grill. You got to be yeah. grilling some meat. That that is a non-negotiable for me. At any at any tailgate, you got to have a grill and be grilling up some brats, get some burgers on there, and be cooking. Yeah, that, that is number one. Um, number two, obviously, beer, alcohol, <laughs> some sort. Like, yeah. Well, I was gonna say so my so my favorite thing to do for tailgates is I, is I make like a signature drink that I either find at the stadium that that I've enjoyed uh so like the Broncos for instance they have a drink that's only available in certain spots throughout the stadium I think they only have two or three sections which is called an orange thunder um and the orange thunder for those of you that don't know is they take a they take an entire orange or they, they cut up an orange in half drop it into a cup and then throw uh, triple sec uh, orange flavored vodka and Sprite and then mix it all together for you. And it is scrum diddly umptious. So what I do for my tailgates when I tailgate for the Broncos games is I make everybody those orange thunders. I don't usually do the oranges because um, I don't, I don't feel it's necessary. You might as well try to get as much booze in you as you can instead of filling your cup up with an orange (laughs) um, so that it's cheaper when you go inside. Um, And then, and then for the buffs um, they always have um, the Avery um, brewing company, um, the Buffalo Stampede uh, for sale on draft. Mm. That always reminds mm. me of Buffs game. So no matter what, I'm always buying that Avery uh, Buffalo Stampede beer. I think they just call it Stampede, not Buffalo Stampede. Um, but I buy that for the for the tailgate because it's you know it just reminds me of the Buffs. So having well, a signature it's got Ralphie on the can. That too. That too. That definitely makes it. That definitely makes it good. Yeah, for anyone that uh, has never drank with D Train, um, be cautious. <laughs> that, that's probably the best, best and only way I could put it. Um, this guy is an absolute tank. He is a horse in that regard. So, uh, oh boy, um, yeah. I, I will just say, be cautious if you ever get the opportunity, because uh, it's fun, but you can leave in a very banged up state of mind, and it is not. <laughs> but those orange thunders yeah. taste delicious, though. They they do. They, they certainly do. Um, no, tailgating, tailgating is just one of the greatest American pastimes. That might be one of the greatest American inventions of all time, to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't think anywhere else tailgates. Yeah. If they do, they're not doing it to our level. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Tailgating is just, it, it's so great. Yeah. I love tailgating. Yeah. You got to have a good meat. You got to have, yeah, got to have a fun drink or fun beer. Um, my other one is sunscreen. Never forget your sunscreen. Shout out uh, to the ginger snap. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 
the other thing, uh, the other thing that we that I like, I have seem to seemingly always forget whenever I go is like it is like a table just to like put stuff on. Otherwise, you're literally out of the back of a tailgate. Um, and for you know, if you don't have a pickup truck, it's definitely easier just to bring like a folding table or something like that. Uh, and yeah. then the other, and then the other thing is like cups. <laughs> yeah, I would also say. From a Cubs perspective, I'm a big Yeti guy. If Yeti ever sponsored us by some grace of God, I would be the happiest man ever. I think I have like 25 Yetis in my apartment. Oh, so, yeah. They wouldn't even need to give us the free yeti. gear. We would just, they would just give us like an out of office bros Yeti. And that's what I'd rock every single place that I go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I also would throw tailgate games in there. So for those of you, I, I know. It's primarily our friends listening to this podcast right now. Um, yeah. Y'all, a lot of you guys have been to our tailgate or to my tailgates before for like the showdown back when it was held at Mile High. I have those custom tailgate boards um, that are CU uh, cornhole boards with custom bags. I, I like having a tailgate game where I could have a drink in my hand playing, you know, cornhole or whatever you want to play, whatever your game of choice is. I think that's that makes it better. And then, you know, if you got a folding table, then uh, you can fire up some drinking games, which is either a good decision or a bad decision, depending on how you yeah. want the rest of your day to go. But little it's beer a lot pong, of fun. Little beer pong, little flip cup. Some snappa if you really want to just chill. You, yeah, that's really that. So you don't want to drink. <laughs> I, uh, but for tailgating, tailgate, the point snappa. of tailgating is to get a little tuned in before you head into the game and uh, not spend as much money once you get in there. For instance, I think Ethan maybe bought one beer on Sunday at the Bronco game because they he did not partake with uh, Dr. Dave and I when we decided to get our second Orange Thunder. So, <laughs> Oh, God, good thing Dr. Dave uh, Ubered on back to the, his house. Cause... Oh, no, I, I took him back. I took him back. <laughs> oh, that's good. Either way, Dr. Dave, after, after a couple Orange Thunders, is probably bad news. He's, he's, fun to, he's fun to be around, that's for sure. Well, sober or not. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, um, man. Anything else that you wanted to add in about the Broncos or the Buffs? Not the Broncos, because that's depressing. Um, for the Buffs, you know, just stick with us. This is a – it's going to be a season of ups and downs. Let's remember we're coming from a 1-11 program. Yeah. Whatever happens this week happens at the end of the day. Yeah. We roll into Austin and we shock the world. That's great. If we don't, we don't. Um, just be thankful for where we're at. Be thankful for Coach Prime because, like I said, he could have taken the low road today. He proved once again that he is a great ambassador for the University of Colorado and also at this point for the state of Colorado because Colorado football is the most talked about thing in the country on the sports side. Yeah, It's, it's insane. Go look at ESPN's Instagram feed. Go look at Barstool, Bleacher Report, any of them, they're all are posting consistently and almost to a point of like, I'm wondering when people are going to get sick of it mm -hmm. about Colorado. Yeah. So enjoy that. It's not always going to be like this. I don't think. No, I mean, let's, it's, let's it's not going to be, it's not going to be every morning when you go to the gym and you see Colorado Buffalo, they're talking about the CU buffs on ESPN. It just, it isn't going to be that way always. So I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And just um, thank you for everyone who's been listening to us as well. Um, we're a little over a month in and, you know, we're, we're still doing it. So 
Yeah, 10 ep- or 11, ep- 11 episodes in. Uh, we, yeah, we really, really appreciate you guys giving us a shot, especially to Ethan and Shalom Sharp. I know you guys will listen to every single episode. If there's another one, that person out there that I've missed, uh, actually, uh, your your significant other uh, is, is the other one, I believe. It's probably listened to every single one. Uh, my wife is definitely slacking. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening to Out of Office Bros. We will be out of office again on Saturday uh, morning. For immediate assistance, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Best, the Out of Office Bros.